This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 7. So Luke 2, 1 to 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the words should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The birth of Christ is without question one of the greatest stories in the entire Bible. The very idea that God would send his son in human flesh to this earth is beyond all natural comprehension. Our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. The Advent story has all the elements of a great drama. There's high excitement whenever the angels appeared and spoke to Mary and to Joseph in a dream and to the shepherds on the hillside. There's tension. What would Joseph do with the news that his betrothed wife was pregnant and he knew that he was not the father? What is he going to do? What a situation. There's love and tenderness. We can image in her minds the mother and the little babe held in her arms. There's happiness, there's joy. Mary bursts forth into song, her Magnificat. She rejoices in God, her Savior, because all that he had done for her. And then, of course, there's great danger. There's Herod's murderous threat to the Christ child. And then there's all little cameo roles, the shepherds, And of course then, there's the wise men that come from afar. And there is the cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zacharias. And there is Simon and Anna, the aged old saint Simon and the prophetess Anna in the temple. So all together, put it all together, it's a wonderful, wonderful story indeed. And yet amazingly, in the midst of this wondrous story, Jesus' actual birth is recorded in a remarkable, understated way. Uh, Whenever you think about his actual birth at that moment, there was no angelic choir. There was no angelic fanfare at that precise moment. There certainly was no wise men. Uh, They hadn't begun their journey even yet. And so in that quiet way, in that understated way, here is just this couple, this 
young, innocent couple, Mary and Joseph, looking into the face of the only begotten Son of God, the creator of the ends of the earth, looking into the face of the Christ child. I wonder what they were thinking at that moment. Those of you who have been parents, particularly for the first time, when you look at your firstborn, you are absolutely amazed and you are filled with wonder that this beautiful little child is yours for the rest of your life, will belong to you, will always be your child. I wonder what Mary and Joseph thought at that moment. I wonder, did she remember the words of Gabriel, the angel, who said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What an announcement! What a profound thing to say. How could you take that in? What would you make of that? And I wonder at that very moment, did those words come back nine months previous? I wonder, did Joseph recall how the angel spoke to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What a moment. What a time in history. What a precious moment that must have been for that young couple. Here is the very Son of God. Here is God in human flesh, born through the womb of Mary, the one that was highly favored of God. Of course, over the years, over the centuries, the story of Christmas has been almost lost amidst legend and myth and sentimentalism and materialism. Somehow we have seem to have gotten away from the true essence of the actual story. Now here in Luke 2, verse 7, there is a discordant note. There is a, a pitiable scene in a way. And it, it kind of sums up for us just how easily it is that Christ can go unnoticed, unrecognized, undesired, unwelcomed even. Verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, led him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Just that little phrase, there was no room for them in the inn. Now, theologians and commentators, Bible commentators, for centuries have debated and argued what does that word inn mean? signify? What does it actually really mean? Was it a, a place where the caravans of the people would come and stay overnight? In many places, there would be like a courtyard, and off the courtyard, it would be a kind of a square-built place, and off the courtyard, there would be, there'd be rooms where people could stay, where travelers could come and stay for the night. 
But Bethlehem was, it was a backwater village in Judea. It was not on any of the trade routes. So the chances of it as being the, a place like that is probably remote. Uh, the chances of it being some kind of hostelry or some kind of a wayfarer station probably, again, is probably remote. More than likely, it was maybe, uh, you know, and the houses in those days were very small. Most of them were small. And there usually was a part of the house where some of their animals, their, some of their livestock, if they had a, a couple of goats or donkeys or whatever, they would keep them in part of the house. And more than likely, it was, it was a kind of a, maybe a lean-to on the side of a house where maybe some sheep or donkeys were kept. But whatever the end was, whatever it was, we know this much, there was no room in it for the Lord Jesus. There was no room in the end. How easily it is for Christ to be crowded out. How easily it is for Christ to be ignored, not understood, discounted, sidelined. Imagine the incarnate Son of God, the creator of mankind, Emmanuel, God with us, the one that Isaiah calls wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and yet there's no room for him. He's given a lesser place. He's refused entry. The one who was born to and thrown the very hearts of men was found in an animal's feeding trough lying in hay. What condescension. Who but God would have organized such an entrance into this earth for his son. So easily it is for Christ to be crowded out. And Christ is crowded out of society in general. Great Britain, sadly, has gone the way of Europe. By and large, it's secular, godless, Christless. Or liberalized, politically correct society has no time for Jesus either at Christmas time or any other time. And in the interest of diversity and multiculturalism and all the rest of it, we are limited in mentioning even the name of Christ when it comes to Christmas. We may offend some other religion. We may offend the non-religious people. And so we're constantly being told and we have terms like happy holidays and yuletide greetings and festive season, anything only Christmas. Carl's singing in the malls is almost a thing of the past, isn't it? You usually get some kind of idiotic pop group warbling some stupid song or Brenda Lee singing rock around the Christmas tree and <laughs> anything, anything, only Christ. We see even that nativity plays in many schools have been banned. We even see some now where the, uh, the main roles is now given over to celebrities, putting the names of celebrities in the main roles of the, of the nativity scenes. 
recent survey of 1,000 children at Brent Cross Shopping Centre shows us just how bad things have become when children are ignorant of even the very basics of the Christmas story. Half of all the children interviewed believe that 25th of December is Santa's birthday. A quarter believe the shepherds found Jesus by using Google Maps. I kid you not, I'm not making this up. 35% believe that Jesus was born at the South Pole. 10% insist that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was in that room when he was born. 15% claim that the three wise men gave Jesus a wand, a tiara, and angel wings as a birthday present. One in five even believed that Jesus Christ, they actually believed that he played for Chelsea. I mean, that's just unbelievable, isn't it? Some thought he was an astronaut. Some thought he was an Axe Factor contestant. And this is a shocking indictment of parents of schools, of churches, of society in general. Just reading an article yesterday by the Christian Institute. And this is another survey of 2,000 families. They found a third of the children aged between 10 and 13 do not know that Christmas marks the birth of Jesus Christ. Paul also found that 10% of adults that only 10% of adults, I should say, can correctly state four facts about Jesus' birth. And half of those surveyed said it's not relevant to their Christmas celebrations. Christmas starts with Christ as a group which commissioned a survey said one problem was how schools discussed the festival. Thank God, at least in our wee country, that we have got many, many good schools with a Christian ethos. We've got many head teachers and head mistresses who believe in Christ and who promote at Christmas time the Christ child. Thank God for the SUs in this country. Believe me, that is a blessing. And so Francis Goodwin from the group said, Britain is fast becoming one of the world's most secular countries. As nations get richer, they think they no longer need God. He also said there's a problem with political correctness in schools, which think... They should not focus on the Christian roots of Christmas because of inclusiveness. <laughs> That'll do right. And actually, that's not really true. Many times it's the councils who ban things, but the general population could care less. Even Muslims or Hindus or Sikhs. He says it's misguided. People of other faiths are not offended. Remember Sally and I a few years ago going through Dubai Airport. Of course, it's a very strict Muslim country. And as you go through, there was a big Christmas tree. No qualms about it. Of course, it's for the tourists. You wouldn't get them outside the airport naturally. But right in the tourist area, there's a Christmas tree. Did that offend them? Not a bit. It's business. Last year, a survey of 2,000 people showed that 12% of Londoners think the Bible features Father Christmas. 
It also showed that 7% of public think Christmas trees are in the Bible, a proportion which nearly doubles among 18 to 35-year-olds. By the way, the Gaudis have got a Christmas tree. <laughs> now, before you get too excited about that, it's only about six, six inches tall, donated by Christine and Carl in the charity shop, and it's got glitter on it, and it's all wee pot. But how in the world am I going to get lights out of B&Q for a wee tree that size? I do not know. <laughs> Colin Hart, the director of the Christian Institute, said at the time, this poll shows a worrying lack of knowledge about our country's Christian heritage that has shaped our history, our institutions and laws, even who we are and our values. It's so true, isn't it? Government has crowded them out of morality, has crowded them out of family values, has crowded them out of marriage, has crowded them out of the courts, has crowded them out of even the very workplace. Try wearing a cross around your neck if you're a worker in London Heathrow Airport. If you're a Sikh, you can wear a turban, but try wearing a cross if you're a Christian. You'll lose your job, as one lady did. Try refusing to adorn a wedding cake that is a pro gay marriage slogan and like Asher's Bakery all hell will break loose on your head and so as far as society is concerned more and more we are refusing to make room for Christ what about our churches now when it comes to church attendance particularly in Britain and the media it invariably is meaning the Church of England, the National Church. And with some noted exceptions, and there are noted exceptions, it makes for pretty grim reading. It is constantly falling. I heard Vickers on the radio last week saying that Sundays are so bad, they're thinking of changing it to Wednesdays. But then... Why would people want to go to a Christian church if the priests and the ministers no longer believe in the virgin birth, they no longer believe in the atonement of Christ, they no longer believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus? Some of them doesn't even believe in God. So why would anybody want to go to that? But thank God there are churches that do believe these things and do preach the real and true gospel of Christ and are prospering and being blessed. Take Christ out of the church, and what have you got? All you've got is a social club, haven't you? That's all it is. And not a very good one at that, because the world can do better at that than we can. Take Christ out of the church, and we might as well put a lock on the door and go home and forget about it. But thank God that we make room for Christ. We make room for his gospel. We make room for his story. Even if that's in a charity shop on a Saturday, we made room yesterday for Christ, and we put him back into Christmas. And as I said earlier, for some of those people, that may be the only Christ and Christmas they're going to get this year. Could this happen to Northern Ireland? Could we go the same way? No, you say, never. Hmm, not so sure. There used to be a time, and I remember it, it's not that long ago, there used to be a time leaving out the denominational churches in this for a moment, but I'm talking about evangelical churches, Pentecostal churches. There used to be a time when Sunday night 
was bigger than Sunday morning. Do you know why that was? Because the Sunday morning saints came on Sunday night and they brought sinners with them. Sadly, that's no longer the case. There used to be a time when their prayer meetings were full. Sadly, that's no longer the case. So don't think we couldn't go down that road. Thank God that we're maybe the last bastion of evangelicalism in Europe, and we probably are, but it's under attack, isn't it? Continually. Let's not us help that case. Let's lift up the banner for Christ in the midst of all of this. What about our lives? How easy it is to crowd him out of our lives. We don't mean to. It's not intentional. It's not something we sit down and think about and decide to do. It just happens. We get so busy, 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 busy. And we're so busy, we get so tired, we need our breaks, and then we need more frequent breaks, and then our spiritual lives begin to suffer, and then we slacken off, and we're going to slacken off on anything, we slacken off in our spiritual lives. And before you know it, a week has passed, two weeks, three weeks, a month has passed. Bible's not open, church doors never entered, and all of that, and we find that we have crowded him out of our lives, our businesses, our families, our jobs, our careers, our studies, all of these things, all of the busyness of these things begin to take its toll. And there's times we have to sit down and make a conscious decision. If Christ is being crowded out of my life, I'm going to have to let something go. I'm going to have to sideline something in my life to make room for Christ. He needs to be first and foremost. <clears throat> we need to make room for Jesus. You say, but I need me time. I'm so busy, David, you don't understand. I need me time. Well, what about him time? What about him time? That's what we truly need. And if we give our time to him, if we put him first, then our lives will maybe not be so frenetic and all the rest of it. We need to make room for Jesus. Colossians 1.18, that in all things... He might have the preeminence. Listen to what Paul said that in all things. You see, somewhere along the line, as, as Christians, we have separated our secular life from our Christian life. And that's not meant to be. See, the one thing about Islam is Islam embodies your whole life. It embodies your job, your career, your family, your society, everything. And Christianity is supposed to do that too, but it doesn't because we separate the two. Well, that's my job side, that's my business side, that's my family side, that's my leisure side, that's, and this is my Christian side. And if you put the two in the scales, how do they weigh up? And we need to be careful for our spiritual sake and for Christ's sake, we need to be careful and give him the preeminence, preeminence in our homes, preeminence as parents, preeminence, preeminence in our jobs and our businesses. 
We need to say, is this taken over my life to the point where Christ is less and less in my life? Where my spiritual life is getting cooler and cooler? If that's the case, we need to step back and say, what is priority here? Is he getting the preeminence? You say, David, but what about all the legitimate things that I need to do? Absolutely, lots of things. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus even talks about these things. In verse 31 of Matthew 6, Jesus said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Ah, those are legitimate things, aren't they? But he says, don't worry about those things. We need those things. We have to have those things. So in order to eat, in order to have something to wear, in order to have a roof over our heads, we need to work. We need to do something for that. But he says, don't worry about these things. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. That's part of life. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But, but, and it's a big but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. In all things that he might have the preeminence. And that's just the, the legitimate things, that's just the, Ordinary things, that's just the basic things. Never mind above and beyond that. Getting right down to the basics. He says, don't worry about those things. Yes, you need those. And God knows you need those. But put me first. If you put me first, I'll take care of the things. How do we make room for him? We make room for him through our worship through our devotions, at some point in every day. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about that because sometimes events overtake us. But at some point in every day, you need to make room for him. You need to spend some time in devotion. That may be reading your Bible. That may be in prayer. That may be working through some program you have got for Bible study or whatever the case may be. You maybe have a little devotional book that you're working through, whatever. But you need time to spend alone before him. And if you do, you'll benefit from it. It'll bless him, but you'll be blessed in return. It's so easy for a day to pass, for a week to pass, for a month to pass without taking time to be with him. So what do you do? What does the Bible say? Go into your room, shut the door. Close the door. And when you shut the door, close the door, what that's, it's not just the physical door. Yes, you've got to close that, but it's closing that door of all the stuff that's crowding in around you that needs your attention constantly. Sometimes you just got to shut the door on that. And spend a little time seeking God, looking at his word, worshiping him, taking time. Say, David, that's not easy. Well, nobody ever said it would be easy. 
Even the disciples fell asleep in Gethsemane's garden at the most crucial time. But we've got to do it. We've got to find a way to do it. That's giving him the preeminence. That's making room for him. So have a little plan. Have a little thought about how you can, in your day, in your busy day, how you can make room for him. Something has got to go. You may be an early morning person. You may be a late at night person. You may be bright as mid-morning or afternoon. I don't know. Everybody's different. But find those times whenever you can focus and think. It may be 15 minutes. It may be 30 minutes. It may be an hour. Whatever time. But make some time to be with Him. And your day will go much better. And it's not a legalistic thing to say, well, I've done my bit for today. It's because you want to. And, and you may find that that 15 minutes, if you really do this, you may find that 15 minutes will go so fast that you're into the next 15 minutes. You may find a, a scripture will light up to you that will get your attention for the next 15 minutes, and you may get no further than that. You may have to have a little sheet of paper, a little book or notelet or something to write something down, to jot a thought down or something. You may have a little book that you've got out of the Faith Mission Bookshop or some of the Christian bookshops. Maybe word for today or some kind of little thought that you can get your mind settled. Sometimes you just need to settle your mind, don't you? You go into that room and you say, well, I'm going to do this. And you walk in there for the first five minutes, your mind's all over the place. Now, has that only happened to me or has that happened to everybody? And you need something to settle your mind, to anchor your thoughts you say, well, as sure as I do that, the phone's going to ring. Sometimes just ignore the phone. I'm fortunate. I've got a wife, and she is my secretary when it comes to the phones. So when my phone rings, if the both of us is in and I'm in my study and she's in the living room, I usually don't go out of that room to answer it. She'll answer it for me. Because invariably, I'm in thought, and invariably, I'm in sermon mode. And I do not like to be interrupted in sermon mode because <laughs> when you're in sermon mode, <laughs> you know, you see, see, let me just, let me just, all right, let me let my hair down a little bit. You probably think that what I do comes easy. Did you get up on Sunday morning or you get up on Sunday night and you just preach for a while and, and, and all week you just, that just comes nice and easy. I wish but it doesn't. You could go in that room six days in the week and nothing come that's shaping into a sermon. Or you could go in and the very moment you go in, suddenly it comes or you get it before you go in. There's no set way, but you have to make the effort and you have to go in and you have to do it. And then it comes and it has to come week after week after week, month after month, year after year. I laugh at some of you young students and say, well, I've got, I've got to get my, my thesis in for this and I've got to get my project in for that. I say, well, I've got that every week. <laughs> every week in life, I've got that. <laughs> but you've got to make room for him. And if I didn't go in, leaving the, leaving the sermon part aside, I got to go in, not just for sermons, but I go in for devotions. And sometimes a sermon comes out of the devotion. 
Sometimes I'm driving along the road, I'm listening to this song. I preached the sermon two or three weeks ago. That came out of a song I was listening to in the car. I said, listen to this song. And a thought came to me just like that. And I thought, do you know what? That's a good thought. That's a God thought. The Holy Spirit has used that to seed my heart for Sunday. And then that was easy just putting that together. I wish I would get that every week. I'd be driving my car every day playing songs if I thought that, but it doesn't work that way. But leaving the sermon aside, because you're not going in for a sermon. You're going in for a time to be alone with him. For your spiritual sake, for your spiritual life's sake, for his sake, you need to spend time with Christ in prayer and devotion. Through your works, that's through our service. Now, I understand that you can get to a certain age where your energy levels are not what they used to be, or perhaps you have an infirmity, or the, whatever case may be. And you're just not able to serve the way you want it to, or the way you used to. God understands that. I think, I'll just use an example here. Where is she? She's in there with a child. Think of Tessa. Tessa has a one-year-old and a baby. Anybody that has a one-year-old and a baby, that's tough work, isn't it? I mean, that's a full-time job right there on its own. And I'm sure there's things that Tessa would love to do, love to be involved in, but at this moment she can't simply because she's got that responsibility of those two little ones. That takes up her time and all her efforts and energies. Now there'll come a time they'll grow up and there'll be lots of things she'll get involved in. Fine, but right now, that's what she's got to do. God understands that. So I'm dismissing that. But for most of us, that's not the case. For most of us, we can do something. And we should do something. We should serve some way. And it doesn't really matter so much what way. You say, well, I, I don't know what my talents, what my gifting, what my ability is. Find something to do and do it. Should it be brush the floor? Do it. I started out cleaning out toilets, brushing floors, driving minibuses. Because that's all I thought I could do. I didn't see any other abilities in me. But I was happy to do that. Because it was service. I used to come off night shifts and go to the church after I did a night's work and stay there for three or four hours working in the church doing stuff, simple stuff, because that's all I could do at that time I thought. There's always something you can do for the Lord. That's making room for Him. Then through our witness. So that's through a word and through our deeds. Our witness yesterday was the charity shop, was the carol singing. Out of the whole bunch of us, there might have been three or four were good singers. The rest of us, no offense, this includes me, the rest of us were just okay. I can sing in the key of Yale all day. And if you had heard us in one of the songs, you'd know exactly what I'm saying is true. But that didn't matter. That didn't matter. We weren't there as a professional choir. We were there to witness. We were there to do something to get the message of Christ into the hearts and into the minds of those who came. And who knows 
What seeds we sowed yesterday through that simple act, taking that hour and a half out of a Saturday morning just to share Christ and Christmas. You see, this is our witness. Think of Wilson sitting down there and how that at Easter time, a couple of Easter's ago there, he spent, what, 40 days, Wilson, was it, with that big cross, standing up the street with that cross, and everybody thinking, who is that boy? What's he doing with that cross? That got people's attention, didn't it? And then people would stop and walk past, and they would stop and they'd ask him, and they would talk to him. That's witness. You say, I, I wouldn't have the nerve to do that. Well, maybe you couldn't do what he does, but you could do something as a witness. Maybe in that office, you're the only witness in that whole office. You know, people say, you don't know, like, David, if you only knew what it was like where I work, if you only knew what those boys I work with are like, if you only knew, that may were to be salt and light. Maybe that's why God's got you in there. Maybe you're the only salt and light in that whole office. Yeah, it'd be nice working with a bunch of Christians. That would be easy, wouldn't it? But if God's put you in, maybe you're a saint in Caesar's household. And you're the one that's there to be a witness and a sign for Christ by what you say and by what you do. And through all of that, you're simply making room for Jesus. There was no room for him at the end. Let's not fall into that trap. Let's make sure there's room for him in our lives, in our homes, in our businesses, in our jobs, in our churches, in our society. Let's make room for him. Christmas this year, there'll be millions go out and they'll be partying all night with not one single thought of what Christmas is about. It's just a holiday it's just a party time. It's just let's get drunk time. And that's all it is for them. But not for us. Not for us. As a time to reflect on the Christ coming to this earth. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.